Welcome to Let Me Know How It Is, a pop culture podcast about TV, movies, comics, and all things geek. We explore the concept of world building today. I'm Zach Slater. I'm Frank Melman. This is Tommy Smithereens. And I'm Clifton. World building is a term that, that, you know, I think to me at least has like picked up a lot of steam in the last decade or so. Um, It's applied to the process of when a creator develops a fictional world to such a degree that it feels lived in, like it's a real place. or it could just refer to a world when it becomes so intricate and vast that it doesn't necessarily feel lived in, but just has so many working parts that the sheer volume of ideas like makes the world like lush and big. Um, I think, you know, I think most of us would agree that like whenever that sensation uh, can be given to viewers or an audience, that it's a positive thing. It's kind of cool when they can get into like in, into the world that much. So, uh, so let's get into it. All right. So I first encountered this, like, you know, on geek sites okay. and stuff when they were talking about, like, you know, like epic movies and stuff like that. Like, like that, that's when that's like when I first heard it with a label mm-hmm. on it. But I think I think for me, the first like real example of it, like kind of hitting me in the face, I'd have to say Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Like, that's kind of the one that it was just like, you know especially like the lived in aspect of it. Right. Like, I mean, that was kind of like one of the, like just the neat kind of novel idea that like here we're doing kind of like a futuristic space and it wasn't clean. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of like George Lucas's, a lot of his inspirations were like fifties, uh, sci-fi serials, Mm. obviously, but in that atomic age sci-fi, like, most of it was such a novel idea that the people looked at it for hope. <laughs> people looked at it for like, this is a perfect society in the future that we could aspire to. And that's what a lot of sci-fi served as, especially, you know, in that, in that period of time when there was the cold war going on and atomic fears and everyone was afraid of what might happen to our world. So they would look at like, Oh, here's this peaceful futuristic place that we can yeah. go. And right. And then stuff would, as stories go, you need drama. So stuff would often go awry in those perfect, peaceful worlds. But the worlds were always like clean and polished and shiny. Right. And then it was Lucas, uh, George Lucas, taking a look at his other inspirations, which were Old West, and many of which show like a dying period where like the Old West is dirty and dusty and had been there and it's on its way out and fading uh, at a lot of time of a lot of Westerns. So he realized that he wanted his his sci-fi to have that feel too and and that's kind of one of the the, the clear examples of where he combines sci-fi and western is making it feel like rough and making his his sci-fi worlds mm-hmm. a lot of times not all of them but a lot of the worlds we see in star wars feel like rough and dirty and grimy and rusty and old and lived in and it was definitely daring at the time you did not see much of that in sci-fi at that point in time right it does a lot of heavy lifting, I think, as far as like making it feel somewhat familiar or identifiable to audience. Like just the fact that like this stuff looked used, mm-hmm. right? And had some like tarnish and patina on it and right. stuff like that, which I thought like like was really, really, really um a cool a cool thing. And it does kind of have like a weird like sense of sense of home kind of mm-hmm. sense. I mean, and, and that's just like one aspect of the world building aspect of right. Star Wars. I mean, like Star Wars, I think like Really, to me, like I, I had a list of a bunch of shows and movies and stuff like that that I think like really excelled at the world building. But Star Wars is like kind of like the linchpin to me, where I feel like it like not only did it well, but did it in different ways really well. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If that, if that makes sense, because like, it's not just the fact that it, it can feel like kind of lived in and familiar at play at times, but it's also just like, it's just so damn big. Right. <laughs> right? Like, you know, as far as the universe they created, I think one of the things about star Wars that's, that's, you know, it's was unique about it, especially for the time was like you were saying, Clifton, it was the idea that stuff was, you know, used or lived in or, or, you know, you have the whole thing where, where like when Luke goes to buy the droids and the one droid just blows up right off the, like right off the, mm-hmm. the, the like the, what's about he just drives it off the lot kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. It just blows right. up, which again, you know, is a small thing, but that was cool. And then the other one is for the Millennium Falcon to be like the, one of the coolest ships ever in the history of like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. This thing's a hunk of junk. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, there's, there's all right. that stuff, that aspect of it as well, where it's like, you know, it doesn't work right. It needs parts. There's, you know, stuff coming off of it, you know. Right, that's like mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back. Half mm-hmm. of the movie is just trying to like glue this thing back together right. enough to get somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yep. Which be- which becomes a, you know a, a, tro- a trope unto itself in a lot of other things. Where I think that um, and I'm, I'm not trying to jump worlds yet, but just the idea of like something like Firefly mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. takes that idea mm-hmm. of like you know the 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 lived in world. But but I think that all starts with the idea of like you know Luke being like you know for for the ship that we just booked passage on we got the crappiest ship possible, even though, you know, <laughs> right. it's the Millennium Falcon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think to me also, like, it's one of the, the areas where I prefer the special edition versus the original stuff is like the Moss Eisley additions. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that all the new stuff that Lucas added in whenever that was, 97, mm-hmm. that like it made Moss Eisley like a lot more bustling. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they and they added like like the Ronto and stuff like that and all this like <laughs> yeah. all this neat stuff. But I just like that there was like activity out on the streets and it just made right. it like again, it felt like it felt like uh like you know, not unlike when you go to like you know, like marketplaces and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. it just it, it felt that there was like a grander, bigger like everybody had a story in there, right? Right. Sure. You know? I mean, something that I do feel like there was a success of in Star Wars more times than others. So this isn't, it's not always like the, the original ones, the original trilogies, I think had more successors than some of the, you know, other stories we've gotten. Some of the expanded universe stuff or like Clone Wars animation, but some of that works too. Some of that stuff is great as well. But like where they go right, as opposed to where they go wrong, I think is that like the places like Tatooine, and I think we've had this conversation not not on the show, but off the show, me and, and Zach, is that like we got to experience a lot of the worlds of Star Wars well enough to like feel like real places. And and sometimes we don't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they throw us a place where they're like, hey, doesn't this look cool? Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, yeah, it yeah. looks cool. But then they don't give us much more than that. Yeah. And But then a lot of times, like the ones that I think work really well are the ones where we do get more like, like tattooing were introduced in the form of like this family of moisture farmers and, you know, they're sitting down to dinner and, and they got their blue milk and we see what their life is like and they can't afford the best things. And they can't like the, the young one can't go off and have fun because he's got to stay and work on the farm. And, and like, we really yep. feel he's like, got chores. like, yeah, he's got yeah. chores to do. Like yeah. we feel like, like, they're having to buy their their droid secondhand. <laughs> like right. we really feel mm-hmm. this place. We feel like the struggle of being there. And then, like again, Hoth, we see as like they really like drive home how dangerous that planet is right. to be on. Yeah. Like 
they have to shut their huge gate or else they're all freeze to death at night, which mm-hmm. is why they have to make the yep. decision of leaving the gate open or closing it when Luke and Han are still outside and they have to, they have to close it, which is a hard decision yep. to make. Right. And like, and we just see like how like hard that planet is to be on, which is why the empire wouldn't have suspected yeah. they would be there initially. Right. And, and, and then Endor again, like even with the Ewoks as, as some people don't like the Ewoks, but I love the Ewoks. I was a kid at the time of Return of the Jedi. So yep. I just see the Ewoks. I second up, that. Like, I love the Ewoks too. Yeah. <laughs> but like we get their culture too. Like we like, we see what their customs are and, and like, so we do really get mm-hmm. a feel for these places and they thought out like, what would, what would the experience of the people living on these fictional worlds be like, and how can we show that quickly? And yeah, and that's something they do very well in a lot of star Wars stuff. The interesting thing that I think you're bringing up about these two, about like Hoth and, and the Ewoks and stuff is that like, is they got faster at it. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like especially the Ewoks, I'm thinking like the, the ability to sort of like to hint at like a culture and a way of life for them and to do it just so economically because they're really not on screen very long before the big like third act like you know fight sequence Mm. you know with all the stormtroopers and stuff like that i mean like it's it's done very very quickly Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i was gonna say i think it's one of those things where it's i think the first six do a really good job of world building and then i think the last three don't really do a very good job of world building (laughs) i feel like it just sort of like Mm -hmm rests on the laurels of the earlier movies and takes us back to locations we pretty much know. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously within say something like the Mandalorian or some of the expanded universe, you know, animated stuff, I think there's more of a push to create new stuff. And I think that's what that franchise should constantly be doing. Right. Right. Is giving us new stuff as opposed to, you know, let's traipse over Tatooine again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, again, I, I, I like a good nostalgia, you know, first as anyone else, but at the same time, I would, I, I I would like to think, you know, that th- just to keep the, the to refreshing the tree of it all, you know, you want to keep giving us new worlds and new races and, you know, yeah. or expand on, the, you know, expand on the millions of things you've created in the background that I don't know what any of that stuff is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The one that I think, too, that's just kind of begging to be to be played with is Coruscant. Right. Yeah. Because I do, th- I do think that later on that, that I think that they started just kind of like relying on, on like an entire planet with like, like based on a climate, mm-hmm. right? Where like Hoth was like the really cold one and that made sense. And then <laughs> right. it was like, and then you just kind of ran with that. Like this one's a swamp planet. This one is the forest one and everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I love that stuff. That's great and everything. But I feel like that that just kind of became, came sort of like the shorthand yeah. for like every new location that we went to. But Coruscant is sort of the one that I could get where I'm like, no, I could see that happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like population just sort of like just kind of running like uncontrolled and <laughs> development can like like we're like, OK, like we've gotten to a point where like literally the whole planet is right. now like this. This is now occupied is now right. the city. And I just feel like that there's. You know, cities have kind of like an interesting like they they their life kind of finds a way to of, to, to make like an interesting culture and an interesting sort of like like day to day uh operation for like its citizens and i just think that there is so much to mine with coruscant that we just really haven't gotten the scene mm-hmm. because you know when we see him we see you know we see senators and we see you know like right. like the elite and, lo- and the lawmakers and stuff like that we don't get to see really often other than like that diner yeah. <laughs> that obi-wan yeah. goes into to talk to his old buddy like that's it and i kind of want more of that 
And, and we do get the death stick dealer down in that one bar in uh, Attack of the <laughs> right. Clones selling his death sticks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, some of the animated stuff does delve more into that. And I think that is interesting, like mm-hmm. Andy's Clone Wars did. And then the, the computer animated Clone Wars, I think, did. So you do see, you do get to play with some of the, the levels. But yeah, like they tease a lot and, and don't give us much with that over the time. Right. But it's, it's like urban sprawl has just been going on for a million years until it took over the whole planet. Right. Yeah. It is really a neat idea, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I think about it. But yeah, I mean, God, Star, Star Wars has given us so much. It's so yeah. cool. You know? So, Frank, so you, you, you put out Firefly over there mm-hmm. when we were talking. So is that, is that like one of the, one of the big ones for you? Uh, no, I mean, it, it is and it isn't because it's one of the things where it just didn't last very long. So... I mean, mm-hmm. they did show there were, you know, certain things they explained or like, but again, it was, it was, I think again, the other big influence on that before I would talk about that one, I would, for me, when I started thinking about this episode was Star Trek. Okay. When, okay. Yeah. When I, when I think about the idea of like world mm-hmm. building and, and how it goes from being, you know, we have like, you know, the enterprise itself is a storytelling device, but at the same time, you know, it's all about going to new worlds and new civilizations. Mm-hmm. At least it's supposedly that's what it's supposed mm-hmm. to be every week on <laughs> right. this five year mission, even though, you know, we've talked about the bottle episode <laughs> aspect yeah. of it all. Um, you know, where, where Kirk or, or Spock or whoever is just talking to like a nebulous cloud on the deck of the Enterprise. Um, <laughs> but no, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, that's the one like, you know, granted, a lot of that stuff was shot like they would go to a planet. It's like shot in like the California desert area where a lot of those shows were shot. Yeah. Um, like that you know. one jagged like rock outside mm-hmm. LA where lots of stuff films. Yeah. <laughs> right. That yeah. that's the one. So yeah. um but yeah, I think I mean I thought about because I mean I remember watching old reruns of Star Trek with my dad and he was big into to, that was like his one of his sci-fi shows that and the, like the original Invaders the one about you know the like the body snatcher show mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I remember watching those with my dad and just getting the sense of like, oh, well this is, you know, uh, you know, before I looked at production values and all that stuff it was the idea that no, every week they were going somewhere new. They were going to, you know, meet new old new people. And eventually that, you know, that had branched out into like time travel and, you know, alternate dimensions and all that other (laughs) stuff. But that was like some of the first, you know, other than comics, the first place I really experienced that was there, Mm -hmm. you know, and just the idea that, you know, there's, you know, a million, there's the Vulcans, there's the Romulans, there's the Klingons, there's the Gorn, there's, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, the Tholian, you know, like the Tholian web episode, you meet the you know, gangster you meet, planet, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, the, yeah, piece of the action. That's that episode, yeah, yeah. with uh, yeah. Vic Tabak as Krakow. So, you know, you get all that oh, stuff, that's you know. awesome, right? But I mean, <laughs> but, but like they had, you know, they they had, you know, they, there were games that they played, and like, you know, for example, in a mock time when they go to Vulcan, when when Spock is betrothed to 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 Pring, uh, and then you meet to Pow, you see like some of their, um, you know, their ritual stuff. Like that was the first, again, like one of the first places I got the idea of like, oh, so someone's, you know, and then the thinking of the thought process that further was like the idea that, you know, there's a group of writers who, you know, sat around probably with a six pack trying to come up with what's, you know, why do they shake the bells, you know, right. when, when they, when they're about to have this, you know, this, this ceremony or whatever, you know, when every time um, T'Pau is supposed to, you know, to address the group, you know, they have to shake the, the this bell thing and where do they get the weapon that looks like, you know, a stand with an ax on the end of it. Right. You know, like somebody somewhere had to sit in a, in a, in a writer's room or maybe sat by themselves at a typewriter and came up with all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's just one episode. That's just right. one episode of that, you know, yeah. and the, you know, I granted a lot of it is, you know, the cold war and like, there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, 
a lot of you know a lot of the the the, the people they the aliens they encounter you know the other species of you know people they meet and other civilizations and stuff is based on you know there's a lot of metaphor in star trek right there's mm. a lot of you know stand in for other things so <laughs> right that's where some of that comes mm. from but still you know there's a lot of stuff that you know there's not really i mean i mean there's no analog for the for like um Trelane, right mm. You know, who eventually, you know, I think uh, Peter David and, and it ties Trelane into the Q, which makes sense. Okay. Which one, what was Trelane's deal? I don't remember that one. That Trelane long. was like a, like a, like a, he was dressed like from Victoria, I think from like a Victorian age and he was an omnipotent being they run into. Oh, right? Okay. And then it's revealed at the end that, I mean, spoiler alert for an episode of Star Trek from the sixties. <laughs> um, but Trelane is revealed to be like the child. Like he's someone like his parents basically show up at the end and they're like, what are you doing with these sentient beings? Why are you uh, being okay. this, like this jerk to them? Right. You know? And mm-hmm. it's just one of those things again of like, you know, you get that, that feeling of again, someone not, you know, the idea that someone built this part, you know, and again, it's not something you can just ignore and throw out of Star Trek. It's something that, <laughs> right. It's something that exists is canon, mm-hmm. you know? So that was again, or like the, 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 the guardian of forever. That's another example. You know, that's mm-hmm. something that um, gets played with every now and then. I know definitely in the novels, you know, in other places in Star Trek. But again, that's the idea of a portal that can take you anywhere in time and space. Okay. You know, that that expanded their world even yeah. further. Right. So. I think Star Trek kind of also did it in, in two ways, too. Where, where, you know, like like you're talking about with essentially like the world of the week. Yeah. Kind of, right? Mm-hmm. situation and i think mm-hmm. yeah and i mean and that and like that in and of itself is impressive right right that like that you're making all these like distinctive worlds every single week and you're making them look different on the budget that you that you were allotted and all of that right. stuff but i think also like they do a really good job with the federation right being sure. hinted at this big sprawling thing when right you know yeah you see you see other people and and you know other officers here and there and stuff like that but really i mean your focus is one ship and the mm-hmm, idea that right. you're able to still still like hint at this huge massive you know galactic thing yeah right. i mean the, yeah well, <laughs> right? there, i mean i mean there was definitely you know it, you get more of it in in t again when you get to like tng and like uh you know um d space nine and 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 um the cape mold voyager voyager thank you mm-hmm. when you get to that one you know there's more even more of an expansion of that world right yeah. You know, when you're getting out in like say Dominion space or you're getting, you know, farther away from, you know, removed from from Federation space. But no, the idea that like Kirk occasionally had to offer, you know, and you know, answer to higher ups mm-hmm. was sort of a thing yeah. in the original. <laughs> it's more so in the movies, mm-hmm. I would say, than anything else. Right. Where, where there's that kind right. of but you would you would absolutely have other um you would have other like other captains that would show up that he would talk to, or like they would other ships that they would have to like, you know bring on someone to their ship or they would have to like, you know, drop somebody off or, um, you know, a scientist has gone rogue. <laughs> like, I think like, uh, you know, with a doomsday machine, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You'd have right. those moments again, which would expand the world even further. But yeah, you know, I, I like I said, Star Trek is one of the first places I definitely, even before Star Wars, where I was like, yeah, definitely. This is, this is not just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, there's not, there's, there's always, it's all about exploration and expanding their worlds. Quote unquote. Yeah. So, well, and you just hit on another thing, too, because when you brought up Next Generation, like, it just occurred to me, too. I mean, there's another aspect of it there, too, where, like, that's the ship that allowed also, like, families right, to be on the yeah. ship. And I think I think that that does that does kind of create some interesting questions and, and does a whole lot of world building because it's like, like, what do those other like, what what are the spouses and children right. of mm-hmm. officers doing right. <laughs> right while while, you know, 
while mom or dad is doing this on the ship, right? Doing their <laughs> job. Know? And I just think like, it does, it does. Yeah. It does. It does answer like, or it does create a whole lot of more questions for like, what kind of duties are out there? What kind mm-hmm. of occupations are out there? What do people do? Mm-hmm. And we don't get shut up Wesley without the families <laughs> being on the ship. <laughs> right. right. Well, yeah. again, and the, and the other thing about that from a, from a cultural standpoint is that you get, you know, without TNG, you don't get a lot of like Klingon culture mm-hmm. and the idea of again where you know you get the meta you know the metaphor like in the first one where we're fighting a cold war with the klingons well we i say the federation but right mm. but in this one it's more of a an idea of glasnost you know in the eight, late 80s yeah where like you know our you know our enemies are no longer really our i mean they are but they're not right. and we're still trying to make that bridge that gap between you know who you know i mean you, you know if you've ever watched the the the, the original trek movies where you know you know kirk is like those klingon bastards killed my son Mm-hmm. you know when they're trying to mm-hmm. break bread to you know where they are in tng right with Worf being an officer on board it's you know it's a it's again it's a it's a different it's a different take on what we've seen before with you know letting that world get a little bit bigger by seeing that aspect of the world we hadn't really seen before yeah yeah and probably worth pointing out is that the Cold War was still technically going on. We had right. we had reached a different level of the Cold War, the glassness that you speak of the, the cooling mm-hmm. of the Cold War, I guess. But it was still technically Soviet Union still exist, existed when Next Generation started. Mm-hmm. So it probably was kind of a daring choice to have their like their Soviet analog Klingons on mm-hmm. a ship on a Federation ship. Right. That was probably a daring choice in 87, yeah. I think, when when Next Generation started. Yeah. So what's one what's one for you, Tommy? Um to be honest, all the th- everything that you guys mentioned, those worlds seem very small to me. Okay. In which okay. I always believe the devil's in the details. And mm-hmm. looking back on those, now, mind you, being young, I saw them as being very um, big because I had no idea of what big truly meant. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say stuff like Lord of the Rings truly introduced me to the details of a lived-in world that we're visiting because the devil's in the details. Now, with Star Trek and mm-hmm. Star Wars... Um, now, don't me wrong. I was enthralled with both in which I love the technology and the different aspects of stuff that they introduced, but there was never details based upon what we were engaging, only the story or only the character. It wasn't until further on, like what you said, uh, Frank TNG mm. was, um, it involved other aspects of it or, um, Star Wars where it involved Empire Strikes Back, we saw other aspects of it. But as I got older, I'm like, really? A cold planet? A desert planet? A city planet? <laughs> I mean, it, it's instead, it, it, it never felt that, like, we live in here, we see these different species, different types of people just on our world. But here's where the Wookiees live. Here's where the, uh, you know, this is this, this is that. It was always um, shorthand. Um, yeah. To me, um, Lord of the Rings and um, Harry Potter, I couldn't think of it. Harry Potter was my first hmm. introduction to almost that I am visiting a place that is fully evolved into the culture and the setting that you're dealing with. Hmm. I'll go into Harry Potter because I read all the books with uh, Lord of the Rings. It was introduced introduced to me and always explained. I never read the books and visualize the structure. But to me, I bring up uh, Lord of the Rings because you have humans, you have orcs, you have doves, I mean, excuse me, dwarves. You have elves. Mm-hmm. Um, you have different aspects of different things, and they traveled to it, and it felt like they were miles separated from each other based upon how they lived and what their culture evolved and what they did and 
you know, there were tribal aspects to it. There, hell, uh, uh, um, hobbits had two breakfasts. You know, it's just simple sh- stuff right. like that that made you feel that it was fully um, something that you're seeing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't the Klingons are fighting or the Cardassians they're fighting. And then there's Hogwarts. All the thing that happens with Hogwarts and um, the Harry Potter world, that's just Great Britain. You know, it, you, you, um, <laughs> right. you know, you know what I'm saying? It, it was, it was mm-hmm. just that. And then there were levels to it. You had um, people who were, um, you know, rich, poor, and then even go with their, um, you know, their their slurs for one another, and and generational wealth and um, newly evolved new wealth and new money and things of that nature. So uh, not to not to you know you know look bad on other stuff, but um, it just felt shorthanded. You know, it, 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 no, I hear you. Yeah, it, it just felt like uh, that's the one thing I say that stunted me with Star Wars is whenever they needed something new, they just go to a new world, but nothing was ever mapped. Mm. Um, it never felt, right. like, you know, just I just punch it, you know, and then zoom, blink, <laughs> they're there. It's like what? It's, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't. It, it was no time yeah. at all that they were there. Um, what's uh, Clifton? What's the the um the mountain that they throw the um the ring into? Mount Doom. Mount Doom. Mm-hmm. Mount Doom seemed like it was like on the top of the world. Like, oh my, it's like, oh my God, you're going right. where? You know, it's like, it's like I'm walking yeah. to Mount Everest from the United States. You know, it, it, that's the same type of <laughs> mentality they carried it. But with Star Wars and Star Trek, oh my God, Star Wars didn't, I mean, Star Trek didn't blow up to me until Voyager, the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. And I was like, what? That's the same galaxy? Mm-hmm. And, right. and they were lost, you know? You bring up an interesting point that's kind of like like orientation of of settings like in like in regards to other settings. Yes. Right. Because I think you're right. Like like I think I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there's one out there that I've never seen. But like but I have never seen like a map of the Star Wars galaxy where like what planet is where in relation to another one. <laughs> exactly. But it's like the Lord maps. of the Rings does <laughs> there do. There are maps. I'm, no, yeah, I'm there sure are maps. there are. <laughs> uh, how could there not be? I'm sure right. there are. I've just I've I've I've, I've not I've not you know, put in the time to go look for that. Right. Um, yeah. But, but there is in Lord of the Rings. So Lord of the Rings, I think does do, even though you're not necessarily sure of like geographically, how far something is from another thing. Mm-hmm. Like you do get a good sense of like, I have to cross this place to get to here, to get to here, to get ultimately to get to Mount doom. Right. Yeah. And then come back. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. For, like for some people, they got to the end of the first Lord of the Rings movie, and they're like, "Why did he just fly mm-hmm. the giant birds to drop the ring off in the in the <laughs> volcano?" Right? I agree. And if it had been Star Wars for you, they would have done that, right? Because it just would have been punch it, and the birds would have flown to Mount Doom, and they would have <laughs> tossed the ring in, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. All because right. That's what in <laughs> Star Wars, when in the beginning with Luke, oh my God, it it he dreamed of just leaving his farm, right? And then. And, and by the end of the movie, he's traveled to like three different worlds, uh, which is insane to me. But for example, uh, mm-hmm. another clear one that I'm just remembering is the last airbender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they show you a for map sure. of the they show you a map of the world and it doesn't change and it doesn't change the vastness of it. Um, yeah. Every area that they go to, it's almost a different type of people that are indigenous to the area. Mm-hmm that you wouldn't feel that they mess with one another. Their cultures felt different, you know? Yeah. And, and that's another aspect of the lived in parts. It's the details. Um, 
Now, mind you, I understand that both Star Wars and Star Trek had details, but to me, Star Trek grew into it better than Star Wars, in which I've yet to see a canonical map of Star Wars, as opposed to um, a canonical map of Lord of the Rings Mm. or Hogwarts Uh or uh, Avatar. And that's what felt me, that's why I felt less lived in. It felt like everything, every world they went to, it only served the purpose to push the story. It's nothing that um, felt like this is the conflict. Exactly. It didn't gotcha. feel, it didn't feel, I didn't feel the existence of it um, and what transpired. Did that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, the books, the Lord of the Rings books, like both of them, The Hobbit and the later books, the Tolkien drew a map. It's on the first page <laughs> of each book, his little mm-hmm. scribbled map. So he does, I mean, you do have that going for you. The, as far as like the locations and shorthands, like Star Wars is inspired by like basically the same thing Lord of the Rings does. Cause Lord of the Rings, the hobbits live in this place. The hobbits are like this. They live in Farmville. The elves are like this. They live in Rivendell. The wood elves are like this. Mm. They live in Mirkwood. So, I mean, you do get a lot of that, basically the same kind of thing, the same kind of this place is shorthand for these people. And, and that's what Star Wars takes later. But you're right in that, like the, the benefit of, of Avatar. I'm not sure when, I mean, yeah, I guess that map is in the first like opening credits of the yes. opening first episode. Mm-hmm. So they do mm-hmm. have like, like a thing you can kind of follow along with in those. Cause that was one part of the fun of, of reading the Hobbit, which is called to there and back again, because it's this one Hobbit's journey of, of breaking out of his, you know, small little world Shire. of the Shire. Yeah. And you can like follow this map and be like, Oh, this is how far they are now. Now they're in Mirkwood and now they're on this river. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now, Here's where the spider lives and stuff like that. So you do have that that aspect where you can kind of follow along with them. Yeah, I think you. I think there's a lot to unpack with what you were saying, Tommy. I think I think you're dead on for a lot of it. But one of the things that you illuminate to me is the importance of like backstory. Yes, to world building, right? Like back mm-hmm. backstory that that again, like like you 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 may not necessarily see it ever. But it's there like, you know, that story and like Airbender, like which is also on my list, Airbender and Korra, you know, uh, tremendous backstory. Yes. Right. Um, and that's that. It, it's that's the way with with like a lot of these things that, that, that I'm thinking about, like Lord of the Rings, like tremendous backstory to these characters and stuff. Right. We're, we're coming in essentially in the middle of a story. Right. Yes. But we have a strong sense of what had happened before. And like this, this is this is the setting now. Right. This is what happened mm-hmm. to create the setting we're in now. Yes. You know, yeah. Star Wars kind of fell into the trap of laying the backstory, which sounds awesome. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like when Luke's talking to C-3PO and says, like, you were in the Clone Wars. Yes. Yep. And you're like, oh, like the Clone Wars. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. And then what they give you is never going to be like as cool as what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> Yeah, it was right. my yes. experience where I'm yes. like what I built the Clone Wars up into in my mind for, you know, 20 years or whatever, however long it was between them. Uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Then when they try to show me, I'm like, oh, well, that's not what I was thinking it was. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's my sort of measuring stick of like when it's working. When, when like world building to me is working when I want to see stories from just from just crap that they bring up mm-hmm. anecdotally that I'm like, what's that like? What's that right. like? That's when yeah. I know world building is working because right. you, because you said like, you know, all of those scenes in Star Wars are exactly it for me. But the one also that sort of like, like strongly does that to me is Terminator. 
Hmm. Right. Yeah. We're like, we just yeah. kind of see like, yeah. like in bits and pieces, the future, but I'm like, I really want to see more of that. Like, what's that world like? And then, mm-hmm. you know, Clifton, like you were saying too. And then when we actually get around to seeing it, you know, I think it's much more cool in our imaginations than what people are, are you know, have, have created with it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. Often is. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, it's just, just kind of thinking out loud. I think that, you know, it doesn't like when they do that, the care isn't there in the sense that like, right. Like that stuff existed in the original piece that we're, that we're watching as sort of like, right. To, to create context, to create backstory, to sort of like fill the world out. I feel like when you start getting into those tangential, like we're going to expand on this, we're going to expand on that. Like, I, I feel like that people still don't add like another sort of like, cursory thing in the back burner to sort of like also make me go like wow right you know what i mean like like they're not adding anything to the pot to make me go okay this little thing that you mentioned in this movie now mm-hmm. what's that like yeah you know <laughs> like it just yeah. it, it just always kind of ends up being like a dilution of the thing that i thought was awesome that i just saw for a minute <laughs> yeah well i think that's what to me where star wars fails in their lack of world building um that's why i think that's why people like gravitated effective the the whole idea of Ray not being a Skywalker and how how much mm-hmm. that expanded its universe in that just thought process because now instead mm-hmm. of having like them their two families or a, a family change the galaxy now the now it's conceptually how vast the for, the force truly is you know I mean mm-hmm. how, think of yeah. how many people lost it or were amazed that there was actually a young species of Yoda. You know, <laughs> it, 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 conceptually, that that shouldn't be as groundbreaking as what it was. But all we did was get a younger version of it. That's it, and right. it's something that they didn't even consider until what forty <laughs> years later. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's. I mean, uh, it, to me, it's all in the details and how far uh, uh, the creator or at least the franchise is willing to go to show us this. I mean, and to me, even Eternals does a step further with world building with the MCU by uh, conceptualizing a time on earth in which uh, 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 creation or things evolved way further than uh, the emergence of Captain America, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to show you yeah. that things were always working. You just, right. we just haven't shown it to you, you know? There was always stuff going mm-hmm. on here. Yes. Right. That have nothing to do with this. Like right. uh, another example of that is Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. you know, within mm-hmm. the MCU. This is occurring even though this guy's from here, but you know, it all hits on different points that you shouldn't be aware of and it shouldn't connect, but this is how it works, you know? Right. And then you're able to right. bring other characters in like Captain Marvel or the Kree or the mm-hmm. scroll, right, you know, right. it, it all, it all starts hitting different areas in which they connect. But at the same time, there's no way, shape or form this would hit with this, you know, I'm, that's why I also liked with um, Agent Carter and how um, mm-hmm. just bring her aspect of it and how, it's affected this and how she's connected to the red room at the same token. You know, it's, it's, it's that type of world building that makes it feel like, okay, okay, this period, this is happening. This period, this is happening, you know? Um, but yeah, yeah, I've just, that's, that's the stuff that makes me feel like, Ooh, I want to see this corner of the world, you know, Mm -hmm. or I want to see this corner of the universe Mm -hmm. or what happens to this time period, you know? Having said that, I do think there are aspects of the MCU that I wish they hadn't explained. (laughs) <laughs> like for example like as a world building example I, I you know I, I to me you know this is just you know and I'm not if you haven't seen it I'm not going to expound on it but 
I didn't really need to know what happened in Budapest or Budapest. Uh, <laughs> like I kind of, uh, yeah. I kind of wish that that aspect of world building would have just right. been a throwaway line in a movie that you know, because yeah. it just didn't. You know, to me, it was like, oh, I I would rather it have been something else right. than <laughs> than what we got. So I think there's yeah. there mm-hmm. is a danger in when world building. We're like, not every avenue needs to be explored. Mm-hmm. You okay. know, yeah. No, I was uh, like, so Samurai Jack came to mind when you were saying that to me mm-hmm. too, because yeah, like, a, like yes, where it doesn't yes. need to be explored because Samurai Jack is, is an interesting, um, sort of a contrary point to me. We're like, it does all of the things that we're all saying. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's all, but like what that show teaches me is that like, weirdly, it doesn't always have to be neat and tied together and there doesn't have to be this big sprawling plan of like, like, it's just like, I, I like how loose it is. And yet. Any number of the locations that you go into for Samurai Jack, like, could, you know, have their own spinoff comic book or, or you know what sure. I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I think one of your favorite episodes is the one where they don't even center on Samurai Jack, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With uh, with the robot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, I love that aspect of the world building in which you see how it affects Samurai Jack. But it's not about Samurai Jack in that aspect of it. And it almost paints the world in such a way that, okay, stuff does happen outside of him swinging the sword. And that's great. And and it almost pushes the boundaries of what else is out there. You know, it just builds that curiosity factor. Tommy, wouldn't you watch a show that was all those bounty hunters that were going after Jack in that in that one episode? Yes. I love that one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh, it's just called Jack and the Bounty Hunters, but yeah, like that one where, they're, where, where they're, the setup is like they're all like banding together, like we're gonna get him. Yes, like yeah, I'd wa- I'd watch a show that's that's them, like the the Imakandi, like the cat, like like uh, yeah, um, the, the the cats, yeah, yeah, the, the cat, like the, hunter the people, like I'd mm-hmm. watch I'd watch a show for them. Are you kidding? Yeah. Awesome, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and Which we did a whole episode talking about Samurai Jack. So if anybody wants to hear more of our yeah. thoughts about these <laughs> these specific episodes. We, we do have a uh, back to the yeah. past with Samurai Jack episode. Yes, your local yes, library will tell you more about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, no. What I but what I'm thinking about if we're if we're delving into animated stuff, I think Gargoyles has a really rich world yes. building aspect yes. to it. Yeah. That was in my head too. That was definitely in my head too. That doesn't yep. that does not at any point feel like it's not you know, you know that it's not lived in right. Mm. Yes, I feel like one of the things I love about it, you know, I I came to it late than ever, later than just I think everybody else, but watching it as an adult, the idea that, you know, it felt uh, granted I know that like you know they had that huge order up front and they had to come up with a lot of you know episodes, but it does feel like a, a show that shows you a, a moment and then not necessarily the next episode or not, even the next episode after that turns the page on what you thought you knew. Yes. Mm-hmm. Better than anything I've ever like. I don't. I can't really compare it to anything else because there were so many moments of like, oh yeah, that's only part of the story that went on that we got to see, and it does it so well. Because I know so many. Sometimes they try to do that bit of like you know the the heretofore unknown bit, mm-hmm. but I think Gargoyles is one of those places as a world building piece does it better than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love how he's able to work time and areas of the world different. Yeah, like. Mm-hmm. The way he treats how Demona traversed time is so interesting and specific. But then they go on the world tour, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. with only three characters. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. shows the vastness of how they're not alone, even though they feel alone, you know? 
Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I. I loved how uh, Weissman and uh, his writers uh, uh, developed the world that, quite frankly, before the show even emerged. I don't care about, <laughs> about those, <laughs> those those creatures right. that sit on the corner of buildings in New York. You know, right. yeah, ugh. you know, other yeah. than other than Ghostbusters, I never cared about right. demon uh, dogs or or, yeah. or statues at all. You know, right? What is the World Tour arc actually called? Like in the Gargoyles, does that actually have like a fan colloquial name for it? It does. I want to say it's the Gathering. Is it the gathering? Okay, we mm. always call it the world tour, just amongst ourselves. Yeah, so I right. just want to make sure, like, if there are Gargoyles fans out there, what we're referring mm. to. Right. Well, I, I, I do think Weissman refers to it as the world tour, though. Like Does on he? his okay. site, though, okay, as okay. well. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I knew I had seen other people refer to it differently, and just want to make yeah, sure no, people yeah, knew what yeah. we were talking about. Right. Yeah. But Gargoyles is an interesting aspect too, where where for me, character hobbies can sometimes be like a really, really like rich component to world building. Right. Because I think, and Gargoyles does this too, like as good as anything else out there, we're like just the character being into a certain thing can sometimes take you down like a path that you wouldn't normally see Mm -hmm. in that world. Right. Like I'm thinking right where it's like, like, you know, Hudson not being able to read and, and right. And, and that becoming a hobby of his takes us down a whole nother road. In a whole like in, in in a location that like we may not have seen before, <laughs> right? Had like yes. had had that character not not found a love for that thing, right? right? And that happens everywhere. We're like Broadway. Broadway, you know, is like gets into de- in detective movies, right? And like Lexington <laughs> gets into technology and stuff like that. And all of those things like bear some fruit down the line of of story. Mm-hmm. No, no, definitely. Um, I like where not only do you say with their hobbies, but it aligns it up with um, meeting foes and friends. Like I love mm-hmm. how um, Hudson leads to a friend that teaches him how to uh, read and also uh, points to what's going on in the world yep. or um, mm-hmm. Broadway's love of TV and the pack leads them to have a lifelong villains that want to see them dead at every turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Right. Uh Brooklyn, um, trusting an old gargoyle, which later leads to believe that he's softer and weak. And he always, every time he deals with Demona, it's always a vendetta that he's wishing to uh, get over based upon him trusting her. It's just, it's, yeah, I agree with you. Their uh, their hobbies mm-hmm. and their personalities lead to an overarching uh, a bigger window that engages with more people yeah. with every new story, you know? the whole show kind of stems from Xanatos entire, like just his hobby, <laughs> right? Like we yeah, have a show yeah. just because of like yeah. what Xanatos is into right. and what he's yeah. trying to achieve. Yeah. I just think, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and I think, and like, I think that that's an area where, where stuff like pays off, like really greatly like that. But, you know, I think another one's like, you know, I'm bringing this show up a lot, but like Doug was another one where like, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a school, there's a school like, like play, uh, and like they're auditioning for stuff. And then you find out that like that this role has like a ballet component of that. And then you find out like these other characters are like are into this thing that you didn't know. And you see that part of like another part of town, even like just for an episode. That's kind of cool. Right. You know, to me, I love how Weissman uses it again in Spectacular Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Like okay. there's no there's nobody wasted. <laughs> nobody. No, nothing unused. Mm-hmm. New York is a living, breathing thing. 
that deals with certain aspects of what he does, where he goes, who he interacts with, and how bigger it gets, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to push that into Young Justice in which it doesn't work as well mm-hmm. because he keeps it, to me, it falls into the whole Star Wars thing in which you keep introducing new stuff without people finding grounding groundings in the stuff that you already created, you know? Mm-hmm. In which mm-hmm. as large as Young Justice is, it feels sprawling, like out of control, like Corson, <laughs> if right. you want to say. Because it's like yeah. in Corson, uh, you know, you go out the street, you know, you drop a couple floors and it's a whole new world. And you figure, well, hey, what happened to the floor he just dropped from? You know, it's it's no bearing on where he's been, always where he's going right. or where he's at, but never where he's been. Like the history of it all fails to um, interact with where he is now, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, how could you punch a guy and then not come looking for you at all? You know, that's how <laughs> right. I feel about it. Do you guys have any examples of anything in comics? I, mean, I think comics in general. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like you got the different approaches, which we covered uh, in our other previous episode on fictional locations. <laughs> Throwing back. <laughs> that was one of our first. Yes. But uh, like um, there, there is the different approach between DC and Marvel and they both work. And and mm. DC created the fictional cities, and and so they would have to create a city from whole cloth: Gotham, Metropolis, Central City, Keystone, all of them, and and make you feel like they're lived in. And then Marvel made like New York, like Marvel's New York <laughs> of the Silver Age, is like it, it, it's it's kind of the stuff that that Tommy I think is talking about, where it's like it's like the world you know, so you already you have an easy access point. But then they give you like something else, like they give mm. you something else that makes it special. And so now you've got mm. like you can picture Baxter building is like 30 blocks north of the Sanctum Sanctorum because right. like one's in Midtown and one's in Greenwich Village. And and mm. and I like it really was some cool world building where like Silver Age Marvel, New York, like anything could happen on any block because you go from like running into Spider-Man to running into Daredevil now in Hell's Kitchen. Yes. Just because you went to a different neighborhood. Right. Yes. And I think that is really cool. Like a, like a cool thing they did in comics at the time. I think for me, this is why I asked you guys about it just because I mean, for me, comics, I think is uniquely, the medium is uniquely set up to both excel at world building and also not do it very well. Yeah. And, and, and I'll explain, no, right? Like, I mean, when, so like, does it well in the sense that like when you have a book that's been in constant print since 1961, mm-hmm. right? Like just by nature of like that getting passed off to different writers and different creators on and on and on, right? Where you're going to get a combination of I'm playing with established stuff and kind of like peeling layers of, of, you know, Dr. Doom and stuff like that. And just going to more and more and more like, get get like get to more of of what what these characters are about what these worlds are about right while simultaneously getting people like adding to the pot like for 40 years 50 years 60 years right Right, like i I think like world building is is right like it's so fertile ground for doing that just by just by the, the 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 way that the medium works but i also feel that like sometimes the lived in quality stuff like like there's no location in comics that makes me feel like I know it. Right. And I feel like that it's because artists all have a different interpretation of it. Right. Mm. And I'll give you an example. I mean, so like Wayne Manor, I think 
items become sort of like the linchpins more than like the take of the of the structure itself, right? Like the grandfather clock becomes important, right? In the study that goes into the Batcave, right? Like that's an important linchpin. And then once you're in the Batcave, the Bat computer's a linchpin and the trophy gallery and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Right? I get And I those get what things are there, but everybody draws those spaces completely yeah. differently. Mm. There's no unifying look that gives it a way to make you identify to see where it is. But you say yeah. that and then what Clifton was saying earlier totally broke something down that I loved and now it's crap. <laughs> Baseball, <laughs> what you just mentioned. And that's the X Mansion. Right. Yeah. It's upstairs New York, right, Clifton? Mm. Yeah, it's uh, Salem, like Westchester or Salem Center. Yes. Yeah. Where did they fight? Like, where would they fight Magneto? Can anyone identify that? Oh, or anyone. I mean, they like. I mean, in God Loves Man Kills, they would make trips to the city fairly often. Because uh, yeah. God Loves have... Man Kills is that they come down, like they they come into okay. the city for that. Okay. Or Magneto some... would take take control of like a rocket silo, like a rocket base or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. 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 Like issue one is like it's yeah. supposed to be like Cape Canaveral or something like okay. that. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Now here's the thing that messes my head up. I love Blackbird, the bird, the the plane they used. Right, the SR seventy one. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Oh my god, that was my plane. Like you wouldn't believe, I love that look, <laughs> I love the concept, whatever. <laughs> but now that I think about it, it was a supersonic jet, right? Take you <laughs> anywhere in the world within uh, the blink of an eye, right, or whatever. <laughs> Where were they going? <laughs> it's like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not like they fought people in Brazil. It's not like right. they fought people in Russia right, yeah. on, on the, you know, they didn't. They, I mean, I know they handled worldwide threats, but it never felt that way. Like with Avengers or Fantastic Four, which when they fought Doctor Doom, and they got into the um, uh, the Fantastic Car, and like bloop, they were there. But you get the sense of they had to go to another country. Mm. These Jokers had a supersonic jet and stayed in New York. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah that's all that's all, that's it yeah. that's that's what i thought it's just huh but no i totally agree with you zach as far as whenever whoever was drawing it or 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 illustrated the look it was never unified with a certain way i i, I agree with you 130 mm-hmm. percent with what you're saying and so that i think that that has a weird like so it, it, it falls on the artist to be able to like to create that lived in component like right then and there, like in that panel structure. Right. Because there's nothing there's not a whole lot to fall behind. Right. On 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 the past. Right. Like, you know, Peter's Peter Parker's room looks different <laughs> depending on who's drawing it. Right. This, this, like, right. It, it's just it, it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about i thought when it came to this where i was like yeah in that way like the constant creator passing on like i think is kind of a detriment to sort of to, to creating that like familiar space where yeah. like i know i know what it is right because i know what the x mansion is right but if you didn't have that little caption it's like x mansion like i don't know what that room is <laughs> unless it's cerebro yeah. or the danger room yeah. right? right like you know what i mean yeah um but but to rem- I don't know if you guys remember. Remember when the Marvel Universe had their um, appendix or their um, encyclopedia, whatever? Mm-hmm. The official handbook. Yes. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. The yep. official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Right. Whenever they did a compound, they drew that Joker to detail. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. I remember <laughs> when you you found out where where Wolverine's room was close to the Danger Room. You know, you you saw what the Avengers mm-hmm. Mansion had. They, oh my goodness, uh, the fancy, uh, the Baxter building, 
they created structures and buildings that were so scaled up that that made you feel like it was a (laughs) thing that actually was was built to scale. Mm -hmm. I do love those. I used to like devour those things when I was a kid, when those issues would come out. And I still like I've been trying to find I have a partial collection of the the original like graphic novel, like the collected versions of those handbooks they put out. I have half of the run. Mm -hmm. I think there were eight. But uh, like I remember the helicarrier, like where you would see the mm-hmm. diagram of like what's in a helicarrier, yes. like the standard shield mm-hmm. helicarrier, and this is yep. like this is the schematics for the shield flying car. I love yep. those books. I love yes, those let's, things. Yes. Let's count right. how many bathrooms there are in the helicarrier. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Right. No, I, I when you were asking the question, Zach, I the one that I think of from comics, but again, it's it's I think it's it's done. Like I like the fact that more people have expounded on it since it you know first began in the fifties is Legion of Superheroes. Yeah. Like, I think the idea of, of, of a world building there is, you know, they were kind of given carte blanche because it was the future. And there's there's moments where it ties into the Superman mythos, but more likely it's it's just, you know, this is what it's like on Brawl, and this is what it's like on Durla, and this was like, and again, it's not until, like, I'd say probably maybe the 70s and 80s of Legion where you start to get people who really are like, well, no, we should basically, you know, what's the culture like on these planets? What are the people right. like? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but that's one that, that again, you know, it's not till the early 2000s that they start to tie more of like the idea of, well, no, superheroes from the 20th century would have a bigger impact on the 30th. For a long time, they just didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little, there's, mm-hmm. a, you know, there's like an issue of, I think, I don't know, I think it's a, a Levitt's, Paul Levitt's issue that the Giffen does the art for where someone is going to, is trying to kill the descendants of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of those things where like they tie it into, but I, you know, Legion's one where another one where if you follow it long enough, you do get to see that there is a universe of, you know, characters because, you know, generally it's supposed to be one hero or one kid from, you know, different worlds throughout the DC future universe. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I, it's one of those, when I think about it, I, I kind of agree with Tommy that it takes them, you know, they don't, at first they just sort of give you like, you know, a panel or two description you know, a weird, a weird quirk at an animal or something from that planet. And then it's full on, right. you know, that's the, that's the, that's the shorthand you get for the world. <laughs> yeah. Luck, I, I almost know, feel yeah. like, I almost feel like it comes down maybe to like, to, to the creator's process a bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you do get in comics occasionally, like every once in a while, these comic creators that I guess j- j- just put like more weight on that kind of stuff. Like what's this, cu- what's the culture like in the, for yeah. this world or for, Right. Or for this or for this group of people. And and I guess maybe it just like that's just part of the process for them to sort of like to if I understand that better, the story will come easier to me. Right. Right, Because I think like this is one where Scott Snyder comes up for me. And Mm -hmm. and, you know, we we've not really talked about on the podcast, but just, you know, like you guys all know um, that like I'm not the biggest Scott Snyder Batman fan as popular as that is. But I do think I do think that he was one of those people that like that I need to sort of like understand the surrounding better. And that gives me a window to, to, to write in because he may be, in my opinion, like one of the most important creators for Gotham city. Yeah. Because Mm. he just like every issue that I've read was, was some kind of weird backstory on some neighborhood in Gotham city that like historically in the 1800s, like this, this neighborhood (laughs) was this, and this is how it like kind of worked. And then like over time it becomes, it's now this, and this is the right. situation that like that we're finding in it. And now, and now that there's been like a murder in that part of town and now Batman's right. doing his thing there. And I th- like those aspects I find like so interesting 
to the story. And and I just liked that he did that, that like he just like he just had this weird quirk. I feel like they're just like, right. I, I got to I got to think about like what, what it was like. <laughs> you know, in 1890. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it resonates with people because that's just, some of that stuff is quick to stick. Like some of that stuff has become yeah. like like locked into the Batman mythos and made it out to I have a question. shows, video games, movies. We got a Cornell mm-hmm. stuff everywhere. Okay. Thank you. That's my mm-hmm. question. My question was that he's the one that created Quarter Riles, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes even more Capullo, sense. Yeah. I, yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Thanks for clearing that up, Clifton, because. I was. Uh, it, it bleeds into the fact that the details within the quarter hours and how he maps it out. That's why people are okay. That, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's exactly yeah. what. I okay. Was, yeah. Was no, and it's just you know, and what I do know about him is that he's a New Yorker, and I think, and I got to feel that that you know, just growing up there, where you do have buildings that were built yesterday and also this building's been here since you know 1870 <laughs> right right and like and just kind of knowing that i think that that's kind of an interest like i you know i i'm just assuming i've not heard him say that but i just i got to imagine that that was a component that filtered his way into all of his work right in that way and i think it's cool i think it's really awesome when when you get creators that that you know fixate on that stuff right other than scott snyder uh, the one of the best writers I think is Morrison. Uh, he really does well at world building, and I felt that way strongly with most of his writings, speci- or, or Neil Gaiman for that matter. But specifically Morrison, like when he introduces an idea, he tries to makes it feel lived in. Like I felt that way with uh, All Star Superman, mm-hmm. in which he full mm-hmm. in each which each issue could be expanded upon in its own right with how much detail he gives, whether it's uh. uh the task of Superman and what he does or uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy Olsen or even how um, Lex Luthor uh, 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 deals with him on different levels or who Superman deals with. Uh, Morrison loves to put detail in the creation of what he's dealing with and where he is at that moment. Right. And it feels very yeah. much fleshed in and lived in. Um, ooh, and then one more example. No, he does. Alan. No, no, no. You're right. Re- really, really quick. Just playing off of that. Cause, cause uh, the bizarro, the bizarro world yes. stuff like bizarre i mean like man stuff. he makes that feel lived in like he he loved playing in that <laughs> it felt like like you know uh- <laughs> and just overall that that series was refreshing in that you know it was a time when somebody would take one idea and stretch it out to six issues or 12 issues that morrison was like could have done you could have gotten 12 issues out of any idea in that book and yet we were getting them yeah. like one issue at a time <laughs> like one issue yeah. would be yep. packed full of this idea then the next issue would be packed full of this other idea it was yes. refreshing yeah. it was refreshing at the time mm-hmm. and then it makes me think who the king of those were is kirby of course mm-hmm. yeah. in which any project he does it was fully mapped out and that it didn't need another party in it and alan moore in which he does so much like watchmen that he creates a comic within a comic in order yep. to push his his, his detail yeah. even more so Mm-hmm. Which is insane if you think about that. Yeah. Um, but no, but that's what made me think about what Scott Snyder and his given detail of what he adds to Gotham and gives it a rich, a new rich history that spans hundreds of years before the Batman. Yeah. What's Alan Moore is a good one too. Like Frank, what's that? What's that story of the Alan Moore script? Like how detailed his scripts are that oh, go wait, to the artist. So like the 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 stuff that the writer that that sorry that the reader never sees, but it's just mm-hmm. like the script that goes to the artist to draw. Uh well Alan Moore, I mean Alan Moore's notorious for giving like incredibly detailed like uh descriptions of stuff and there was you know someone joked about the idea that he spent a, 
a page of like writing or text on just what a door was supposed to look like. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, you know, that's, that's one of those things where, yeah, he's definitely was, you know, he's verbose to the point of like, no, it should be this. What's the one with the bookshelf? Which one with the bookshelf? Didn't he do one with like, with like, didn't he do a bookshelf where like he, he, he actually wrote down he noted like what books were actually on the shelf of this character. Um, I don't like know in the that, background. I, like <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't know that one. I know that when he, um, there's a scene during cri- like it, when when Swamp Thing was going on. It was during Crisis, and there's a scene where all these various heroes are are gathered together on the monitor ship, the satellite, and it's one of those things where it's rumored that Alan Moore, basically, you know, and there's a group shot of like a hundred or more characters, and that Moore basically told. I think it's Rick V. It might have been Rick V. or Stephen Bissett. You know, basically where all the characters are supposed to be, <laughs> as opposed mm-hmm. to like just saying giving him a list of characters and be like put them in somewhere. Like he was much more. Right. Like, oh no, I want I want this character here. I want that character there. You know, I should get this. You get that. That kind of thing. Right. This character. Yeah. These characters are talking to each other. These people are hanging out. These people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This this character surprise is is looking at this character. <laughs> like, why is this person here? That kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. Oh, mm-hmm. Alan Moore. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start closing out. So we are going to we're going to end on uh, what world or what aspect of a world we want to see fleshed out more. But first, if you like the show, you can check out all of our episodes on YouTube and let me know how it is dot com. Just please, however you find us, don't forget to like, subscribe and leave us a review. And finally, you can send us all of your topic suggestions in the comments and on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is our show's initials L.M.K.H.I.I. All right, guys. So world or aspect of a world you want to see fleshed out more? I have one. So I was and again, it was one of the things where when Tommy was talking about um, Morrison made me think of something. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, w- I would like to see much more of this world. And, and you get a little bit of that in um, in in Morrison's new X-Men run mm-hmm. that Morrison plays much more with the Shi'ar Empire than a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that Shi'ar are basically. Um, you know, they're just there to like, we need a space empire that right. isn't the Skrulls or the Kree. <laughs> right. right. And there's no, I have no idea, you know, how that whole thing, like, all I know is that Lalander has been the, the, the Shear Empress Majestrix or whatever for, you know, 40 years of, of comic book history. Yeah. But I don't have any, and then, and that the Imperial Guard is like the, their analog for the Legion. But beyond that, I don't know anything about the Shear. Mm-hmm. And I think someone, you know, there's a little bit in Morrison's run when, when Cassandra Nova gets involved with them. But I'd like to see that world played with, you know, I think it's a lot of stuff you could mine and build there that I think right. Marvel just doesn't do anything with. Yeah, yeah I no, can see that. a good one. No, it's a real good yeah, one. Yeah, I can see that. I can barely picture anything. Like, I can't picture the Shi'ar home world or anything like nope, that. Not at all. And it's surprising yeah. that, you know, at one point, again, they've been around since the early days of, you know, it's Dave Cockrum and Chris Claremont X-Men. That's how long they've right, been around. Right, right, Yeah. You know, and still at this point, we don't know. I couldn't tell you what any of that stuff is. Mm-hmm. So that's my choice. Yeah, no, that's a good one. That's a good one. It would be fun to see now that they have Fox, now that Disney has Fox and can do all the X-Men stuff, if they can incorporate that stuff into the, the cosmic Marvel side of things yep. that we've got going on. That would be fun to see. Absolutely. Yeah, it would. All right, Tommy, what's yours? Okay, mine. All right. All right. Zach, don't, don't explode. <laughs> um, Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, Mystery Incorporated. Now, mind Ooh, you, okay. we had 52 episodes of this series 
in two seasons, which nowadays is unheard of. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you throw that in the 80s, that's like half of a good season. I mean, half right. of a good series. Um, right. But what I enjoyed about it is it gave them rich history and incorporated other things that they have done in such a way that was tangible. I would like to see those older groups get a season. Yeah. Other, just other aspects of it that they dealt with that that could have been mined even more in the in how it translates to um, um, Scooby Doo. Right. All those guest stars, despite oh. this, I mean, every last single star that they've seen before and blow up on it. You know, let's see the mm-hmm. Scooby Doo group grow in grandeur and shrink back down. I know they minded a lot during that season or that that series. But they didn't have to end it after two seasons. <laughs> right. You know, no. I I would cash in everything they did after that and just be additional seasons of Mystery Incorporated and let it be the series from that point forward and just mine it till the wheels fall off. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my push. I'll watch. Get more stories of Professor Pericles. Yes. Yep. I'll co-sign on that. But no, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but you're right. I mean, that's like, like I said, like that's when world building is work, when it's like this one little thing. You know, yeah, yeah, give me more of that. Yeah. And and yeah, all, all of those groups I'm like that with. <laughs> yes. yes. I would love yeah. for them because they make what, like three Scooby straight to video movies a year? Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. feel like they could they could revisit some of the Mystery Incorporated ideas in this. Like they revisited um Thirteen Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Yes, like, they did. They, yep. So they got a track record of it. I feel like they could maybe in one of these movies, one of these years, and all of these plethora of movies they make yep. go back mm-hmm. to some of those Mystery Incorporated ideas. I'd love to see that. Yep. Yeah, I thought that's so a too. genius idea. <laughs> <laughs> they should do that. I would yeah. love that. They should. Clifton, what's yours? Mine is Tron, the world of Tron. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you love Tron. Because like I I like what we've gotten of Tron, of course. We've got, you know, mm-hmm. the original, of course, then we got Tron Legacy and now over ten years ago, as hard to believe as that is. Mm-hmm. Uh and then the Tron Uprising series, which uh was I don't think very much watched when it was on Disney XD, but it I really did like it a lot. And it is on uh, Disney Plus now, I believe. For anybody who missed it, it's a really cool show. Voice voice talent of uh, Elijah Wood and Mandy Moore. And then guest appearance by the great uh, Aaron Paul before <laughs> an arc. <laughs> right. But just in all of that, for some reason... You know, when Tron Legacy came about, they decided to represent the Tron world much more similar to how they did, how they represented the 1984 computer world and made a conscious, you know, announced decision to basically ignore the Internet and ignore like the the cyber (laughs) revolution that had happened between 1984 and 2010. And I would just like to see somebody play with that, like the Internet of Tron and like what that world is like in Tron, I think would right. be really cool if, if somebody came up with a good idea to kind of, of, of represent that in, in their world. Mm-hmm. I would like yeah. that. Yes. I kind of hoped, I kind of hoped Tron was going to show up in Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> yeah. That would have made <laughs> sense. Should've. Yeah. Or Wreck-It should've. Ralph 2 when they go right. out into the cyberspace. Right. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah, I wanted. Yeah. And like, and that's in the sequel, I was like, <laughs> is there no Tron in this? So, <laughs> right. Like he should right. just wander through. <laughs> right. Yep. That's mine. Nice. Good picks. Good pick. I'm going to uh, the world of Avatar and Legend of Korra for this. Mm -hmm. And um, we may be getting this because we have, you know, 
a lot more uh, material coming our way, animated series and movies and stuff like that. Like we got that announced. So maybe they'll they'll pick up on this. But I want to see more of that frame of time when an avatar dies and before they know when like who the new one is. I want to know what happens to the world in that period where there's no known avatar. Mm-hmm. Right. And does that have an effect on any of the people? Does it have an effect on any of the, on, on, you know, the, 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 the nation that is known to be the next in the cycle, what happens right. there? Right. Right. Versus what happens to the ones that are not in the cycle anymore. I just like, I just feel like that there's some fun story to be told during that time period. So that's mine. Yeah, so a ten-year gap at least, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in between avatars. Mm-hmm. Like I'm saying, this is like Could at be. least I a ten-year gap. I mean, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. I don't know. Like you know, I don't know how much of a gap there is. Uh, you know, is that fungible? Right. I don't know. Like no, it is. <laughs> you know, it is. Yeah. It is. I don't know. I never thought about that because I only say that because when they attacked Aang, Aang was relatively young, right? Right. Um, and mm-hmm. then we get Korra. And we see when she starts her training mm-hmm. and it's not till she's what, 16, maybe 17, in which she feels she needs to start making a mark in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, we have no idea the transition period or who's in control or who's right. keeping the peace during that period of time. No, that's an yep. interesting uh, question. That's a very interesting question. Thank you. A lot could be done in a decade. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we may be getting it. Hopefully. Hopefully we do. Fingers <laughs> Hopefully. crossed. So. All right. So. That's it for the show, everybody. As always, we'll post links and examples to everything we talk about on LetMeKnowHowItIs.com. Just please remember to like us and follow us on social media, and we will see you next time. Thanks for being here.